Welcome to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. So if this is your first time tuning in, I want to pause and just welcome you into the Kelly family and let you know that this whole show exists for you. So if you are a leader right now and you're just wrestling with some um, organizational questions, maybe you are dealing with personal leadership development uh, goals or issues, or you just have something that's just pressing um, on your heart right now, um, we would love to turn that into an episode. Or if you just want to maybe meet some of our faculty, understand some of the research they're doing, or maybe you just know of an individual who would make an awesome guest for our show. If any of those apply to you, we want to hear from you. The best way to reach our show is to send us an email to ROIPod. That's R-O-I-P-O-D at IUPUI.edu. Again, R-O-I-P-O-D at IUPUI.edu. Well, as we look back and, you know, we see ourselves, uh, whether we're, whatever we stance, if we're, you know, sitting in the middle of a pandemic still or, you know, as some things are pointing to, maybe getting close to the endemic and, you know, we're working our way through COVID-19. You know, there's been a lot of uh, negativity around it. People have lost their jobs. People's livelihoods have drastically changed. You know, everyone's been kind of almost uprooted at times and um, trying to figure out, you know, what do we do? Um, And and a lot of people view that as a negative thing. Um, But I, I really think that there's it, it should be seen as, as some positives in there, you know, because one of the things that, that, that COVID did, I think, was it forced people into really taking an inventory of where they are in life. You know, I've heard so many stories of people who, because of the pandemic, quit their job and started that business that they were waiting to start. You know, maybe they were let go and, and they just weren't expecting it, but it forced them to move after that opportunity that they were scared of, of seeking out beforehand. So, you know, there was tons of stories that have been coming out of the pandemic, both good and bad, but it did focus and, and did put a lot of strain and discomfort on so many. And, and that could be and should be viewed um, as a good thing. And so I want to build a case for you with my guests as to why this discomfort is for your good. Today, I am honored to be joined by Bill Ekstrom. He's the founder and CEO of Excel Institute. He's also author of The Coaching Effect and delivered a TED Talk with over 4 million views. Bill, welcome to the ROI podcast. Oh, thanks, Matt. It's fun to be with you today. Let, let's start with your story. You know, like I want to build the case. Some people probably heard that opening and are thinking you're crazy. Like this pandemic has been the absolute worst thing that happened to me and there's ap- like zero good that's come from it. So I want to start with, you know, your story, kind of how, um, you know, discomfort and, and, and uh, really impacted you in, in your career. In 2008, I was executive vice president of business development, or actually sales and marketing, uh, for a publicly traded organization. And they let me go. Just to me, it was right out of the blue. It was, it was just caught me way off guard. Didn't expect anything. And that kind of set into effect a, a series of dominoes, create this domino effect that ultimately led to where I am now. Um, and quite literally 
for example, you and I wouldn't be on this podcast right now had I not been fired back in 2008. So the epiphany came as we were, as our organization was studying what creates great leaders, what creates great coaches, what creates high-performing teams in business. And there was this, ooh, there was this discomfort piece that we, we kept coming across. Some people described it as healthy tension, um, but there was a feeling of, of, of stress and anxiety in a healthy way. And, and when I say healthy, it wasn't a fear-based um, uh, stressor. And how do you explain that though? You, you can't just go tell leaders, hey, go, go make your people uncomfortable because that's what the good ones do. Um, and it was on this journey of trying to figure that out that we not only discovered how discomfort and um, growth are inextricably linked, but we also figured out um, how to explain it. And uh, all that kind of was the epiphany of getting back to the uh, 2008 event of, hey, the most uncomfortable event in my life to date at that time created the greatest amount of growth. So that's how it all began. And I don't want to, you know, sound insensitive to maybe people that find themselves right now kind of in this, you know, internal chaos. Maybe, you know, they're still trying to find jobs or trying to see the good or still, you know, I mean, all the emotions I'm sure that you went through um, into, you know, the realization that like, man, my whole livelihood is, is totally uprooted. Um, and I got to do something about it. So going back kind of in that mindset, you know, I know in your Ted talk, you were saying something, you found yourself, you know, laying in your bed in the fetal position for three hours because, you know, it was just so, um, unexpected and it just kind of blindsided you, you know, talk about in, in that kind of frame of mind from that place, when did you begin to start, um, making that shift mentally and seeing, seeing some of the good or seeing some of the positive, um, as like a starting point to ultimately being what ended up being probably one of the best things that happened to you? When I go back there, I think th there's several things that uh, I can remember, several things that come to mind. And I would tell you if the thing I was most proud of, I remember, and I remember saying this not long after getting let go. Um, the thing I was most proud of is the next morning I got up at the same time I used to get up very early um, and instead of going to work, I went to a little coffee shop and uh, I sat down and I started to devise, okay, what am I going to do? So I went, I was in a state of chaos that first day and I was just frozen. I didn't know what to do. I'm, I'm, and the, the people reference that they watched that TED talk, don't know what I mean. Chaos, it was a kind of a chaos creates a fight, flight, or freeze. Um, and I was frozen. Uh, so the next day I had to find some normalcy. So like I said, the hardest thing I ever did was believe it or not that next morning is get my butt out of bed and figure out what I'm going to do to take care of three kids and pay for college and, and the whole thing. So that was, I think the most challenging day was that very first, the next morning. Walk through that. I mean, you know, you had to f had the fight. I'm sure when the alarm went off to get up, it was probably a little harder because you didn't have that 
that um, pressure of, well, I got to be at the office, you know, it was more so, you know, on your own accord and having to um, get through it. So, you know, as you maybe talk or have the attention of someone who's, who's just really seeking for, man, that next first step, um, how would you guide into, you know, both healthily dealing with some of the, uh, the chaos you're talking about that comes in the midst of a complete uprooting, um, especially when it's blindsided. Um, and how do you begin taking some of those first steps with the hindsight of 2020, um, you know, to get started into seeing that, hey, you know, the best is still yet to come? You know, Matt, there was a lot of soul searching. And, and when I say that, I tried to get out of my subconscious mind into my conscious mind and what moves me, what motivates me, what, what am I passionate about? What, what are the things that I love to do? What are the things I don't love to do? Uh, and I found myself looking for ways to make money as opposed to looking for things that I truly wanted to do. And I'll never forget, there, there was a moment um, where I got reached out to by another publicly traded company um, that, were, that was looking for another, you know, a role like mine, an executive vice president of sales and marketing. Um, and so they had left me a message and I was just getting ready to call them back. And I thought, is this what I want? Is it about making money? Because I, I, if I want to make money, I can go be a consultant. There's, there's a lot of things I can do to put food on the table. And, and there was some urgency to it, I, I might add. Um, but it, so there was that event. There was number one, it was, I'm no good. I, I, I don't want somebody tell me what to do again. And it made me realize that I, I am way better off running taking the risk of running my own show than following someone else's orders, especially as it relates to a publicly traded company. So there was this conscious series of decisions. And then it went from that to, okay, well, I know I don't want to be told what to do. So I'll go start my own thing. And then I started getting uh, a offer, you know, I started getting asked to come do some consulting work. With, with various companies. And while that for a while paid the bills, I say for a while, for months, um, it just wasn't satisfying at all. And I remember thinking my life, I love, one, one of my greatest talents is, is to uh, identify and acquire talent. So if that's a talent, I would rather build something, a company and not focus on just making money. So that was when um, I made the move to start the Excel Institute back in 2008, in 2008 is when that began. I want to go back a little bit. You know, you were mentioning earlier these four rings or the concept of these four rings. And, you know, in your TED Talk, you do go through and explain them. But for those that maybe haven't seen your TED Talk, you know, walk us through these ideas of the four rings. First off, maybe how this idea started to come about in the midst of, you know, your turmoil. Um, and then what these four rings are um, that kind of help us to find where we want to strive to be as leaders so we can grow what you're referring to are, are what we call the growth rings. Um, 
that came about several years after um, starting our organization. You know, again, we found that there was a discomfort piece um, to great leaders and, and coaches. And but you know, again, how do you explain that? So we worked with a um, um, a PhD in, in org development, actually from the University of Nebraska, and she was coming. She'd come and sit with us and challenge us. We walked through different concepts, and she we because we were based on research, she liked working with us. Um, and what we ended up with is a model that really depicts how environments impact our growth, if that makes sense. And we represented it, we represent it by four rings that basically are stacked on top of each other. They're, they're linked, but yet stacked on top of each other. And those, each ring represents an environment that affects our, either creates, perpetuates, or tears apart growth is in a nutshell. And they are um, stagnation, which is negative growth. Um, from a business perspective, we'll think no further than Blockbuster Video, Kodak, Compact Computers, right? Organizations that are very technological dependent. Um, if they don't keep up or keep ahead, you know, almost overnight, they can go into a state of stagnation, negative growth. The antithesis, the opposite of stagnation is chaos, um, which is, imagine me after getting fired. Um, think of a lot of the, the listeners during the pandemic. Now, the chaos also, it's limiting growth, stifling growth, because we don't know what's coming in, we call the inputs, or, or what they're going to lead to the outcomes, right? And that's typified by a feel of either fight, flight, or freeze. Um, the other, uh, so that's uh, another growth ring. One of the others, it's an environment called order. Now, this is a fascinating environment, and I talked about it a lot in the TED Talk, because order is all about knowing inputs and knowing outcomes. It's and that's what creates predictability and predictability is what creates comfort. And it's really that simple. Um, and then we have this visceral response to this predictability, to this comfort. And when we get that, the, the more we think about things the same way, the more we do things the same way, the neural pathways in our brain get deeper and wider. Uh, and it's hard to think about or do things differently. Um, politics, religion, are two significant examples of people, they, they don't wanna hear things that they don't already think or believe. And it makes them uncomfortable to get out of that way of thinking. Um, the challenge is, is growth doesn't occur in an ordered environment. Growth only occurs in what we call a complex environment. And um, that's the fourth ring and it's called complexity. And there's really, believe it or not, minor differences between order and complexity. The difference is when you're in complexity, that means an input's changed. And anytime an input's changed, outcomes will be different. And different outcomes create the unknown, unpredictability, and that's what creates discomfort. 
So it's really a, when you think about it, it, it applies psychologically, it applies physiologically, it applies biologically. Um, and we continually try and tear it apart and tear it down and look for different ways to understand it and explain it. Um, Cause that's how we view science is the inability to disprove. So, <laughs> and I want to go, you know, even a step further, because one of the quotes you said in the TED talk that really stood out to me and that you repeated it a couple of times, because I think it was very important for you to get across was growth only occurs in a state of discomfort, as you kind of alluded to, you know, just now. And I'd love for you to unpack that a little more, you know, let's, let's take it even a, a step further as to, you know, so why is it that you said, like you said, the most like very subtle things change between the difference of order and complexity, very few things change. Change, but it's that little change that comes out with totally drastic results and, and positive growth. So, you know, why is that? And, and what have you found even in your research and in just in over the years that you've learned um, kind of promote some of that, that change? In our research, when we're studying high performing teams, first of all, let me say that they have good order to them um, things. But, but when you think about what order is, it's, it, it, there's nothing it, do, it doesn't mean it's bad or evil order. It's just that nothing grows there. Um, think about an airline pilot. Uh, you know, when you hop in an airplane, Matt, when you flew down to Florida a while back, right? You're 35,000 feet in the air. Were you scared? No. Okay, but you're 35,000 feet in the air, Matt. The only reason you weren't scared is because you know what the outcome would be. It was very predictable. It's called a safe landing. If the pilots do the inputs the same way, the outcome is very predictable. You don't care if your pilots grow while they're flying an airplane, do you, Matt? Mm-mm. As long as they All get there safely. All you safe landing, right? Yeah. Do the same inputs, you get the same outcome. Great. That's what budgeting is all about, you know. So uh, there's there's good order to high performing teams, but like I said. It's not about growth. Without disrupting things, growth cannot occur because when we get a predictable outcome, again, that, that's not growth-based. Now, it doesn't mean we can't have processes that create growth. We, you know, if you think athletically, we do drills, aerobic exercises, whatever that may be. You know, if I'm a basketball player, my my goodness, you know, Indiana's famous for basketball, right? Um, I'm going to do drills, consistent drills that create growth, right? But during that drill, we challenge and push people. So it's not the process that creates order. It's never changing the process when all of a sudden growth can turn to um, oh, what, the, the word in exercise, you know, we plateau, we quit growing. You've hit, you've taken what was once growth. Now it's order. And then action, it can quickly turn to stagnation in, in a business setting. That's a leader's role is to drive healthy evolution, healthy change, healthy complexity, however you want to term it. They all kind of mean the same thing because growth doesn't occur without that evolution. And I want to make, you know, a very, uh, I want to 
clear up some things because I want, you know, for people to think, oh man, okay. So in order for me to find some complexity or change the input, I need to go get fired now. <laughs> or like <laughs> I need, I need to go like run no, into my, bo- yeah, yeah. Or like, I need to go run in and just tell my boss I quit because I just, I just need, you know, some crazy input change. Uh, and, and like you mentioned, you know, in the Ted talk as well is, you know, that's not what we're trying to get after, like push yourself to get fired or do something so drastic that, you know, it creates chaos because that was, that is not, um, the whole goal of this. Um, you know, but I want to, it does bring up an interesting question as to, you know, we're not talking about those extreme input changes, but what are we talking about? What, what is, you know, some of that quote unquote healthy discomfort, uh, that people should seek after or what to, to know a situation to know like, Hey, this, no, this is healthy discomfort. And this is discomfort. That's going to lead me into chaos. So first of all, we get, we, we got to step back and say, okay, what, what creates, um, there, there, and I said in the TED talk, there are really three primary ways that this complexity environment can be triggered. Um, number one is it can be forced on you. And, you know, I use the example of me getting fired, the pandemic. I mean, come on, how many people that are listening to this podcast elected not to participate in the pandemic? You, you, you didn't have a choice, right? It's, a, it's forced on you. If you're in business, it might be a new competitor. You don't, you don't have any control of that. Somebody quits your organization. You don't have control. How will you respond to it, right? So complexity can be triggered that way. It can be triggered. You can trigger it yourself. And those were some of the examples we used. Uh, again, in the TED Talk, I talked about Claudette Colvin refusing to give up her seat on the bus um, all the way to I mean, and keep in mind, we can't live in a state of complexity all the time. We can't live a constant and constant state of discomfort because complexity gone bad turns to chaos. Order gone bad turns to stagnation. So it's just interesting that I I think what we have to do are, are consciously acknowledge these little moves. For example, um, a while back, I, I was asked to provide a keynote to the law review students at a, at a college. Uh, they're, they're uh, I don't know, some sort of banquet they were having um, for the senior law review students. And I remember thinking to myself, no, no, I don't want to do that. I mean, there's... And this is pre TED talk, but you know, I mean, I, I don't have information. I, what what would make this, you know, attractive? Uh, why I don't have a good message for them, so on and so forth. Um, and that's was my reasoning. And so I had just had to take a breath, you know, until this young lady who approached me just I said, "Give me twenty four hours." And I realized that okay, this is really creating a lot of discomfort for me. So that means there will be growth, right? Maybe not the most, and people say, well, gee, Bill, discomfort, you got fired, where's the growth, right? It's, it's always in how we respond to it. Everything, every trigger in our life is not what, you know, when you think about these triggers, I can get off on a tangent, Matt. Um, your alarm clock in the morning, 
you get up and you look at your phone and you may have a social media message that, you know, that triggers you. Uh, the media, the, the the news you elect to read or take in, you know, the, somebody cuts you off in traffic, the weather outside, you know, the snow behind you. All those things are triggers. And what dictates our environment is not the trigger. It's how we respond to that trigger. And so if I respond in a way that allows me to go into a complex environment, or an ordered environment. So back to this invitation to speak at the law review, I wanted, I didn't want to do it, you know, which would have been an ordered response, which is fine. Not every time do you want to select complexity. You don't want need to select discomfort every time, but I did. Um, and it did create discomfort because now I got to create a new talk. I got to talk. I got to figure out how to communicate with, law students, you know, <laughs> so there are always opportunities in front of us that we can elect to take. And then the other, the third way this can be triggered are by the teachers, leaders, coaches, parents in our lives. Um, I think that's, that's the role of so many people because we, our visceral response, Matt, is to stay in this ordered environment in, in, in a state of discomfort. And then we need people in our lives to, to get us uncomfortable because we don't, we typically won't go there on our own. You know, I love what you said about it's not just staying in the discomfort lane all the time and seeking it out. You know, there's a balance. Like you move into discomfort and then you get back into order and then you go into discomfort and then you get back into order and you're kind of, you know, always dancing between the two, um, which, you know, I, I love also how you kind of related it to working out. And I think the great analogy is, you know, you, even when you work out, you take rest days, you know, when you're doing really hard weightlifting and you're building strength, you do at times have to kind of scale back and, you know, do some lighter stuff and take some rest. So your body can return back to order. So then you can stretch it out again. And yeah, well, Matt, that's such a great point. Because, I mean, think of when you lift weights, what do you do to muscle fiber? You tear them. Yeah, exactly. So you're actually disrupting, you are creating discomfort. That's why I said physiologically it works as well. There's not, there's not anything somebody can tell me that I, it doesn't fit into these growth rings. So yeah, you're creating discomfort and then you get back, you sit back, it heals up, gets stronger. You disrupt it again. Um, you know, the athletic analogies are everywhere. You know, we, we practice drills and we drill, we drill, we drill. And all of a sudden the growth stops, you change the drill and athletics, you hit plateaus, right? I've been lifting weights. I can't, you know, I'm going up and up and up and all of a sudden, wow, how come I'm not able to add more weight? Well, you plateaued. And everybody who knows anything about this said, well, how do you defeat a plateau? And there's a, you change an input and our complexity again. And then you have to have people to spot you. Because, you know, for some of us, like at times we, we have where we get this idea where, okay, there's growth. I can see the growth. Well, now I'm going to go for the big weights because I, I'm just going to shoot for it because that's what I'm gunning for. I feel good. I feel confident when really that's the, the weight that could very much pull our muscle. You know, like if you pull or rip too hard, then, then you're totally out of the game for a while and into chaos, you know, like yeah, you said. Exactly. And, well, well said. And talk about, you know, and I think there's, there's an interesting point because, you know, when you have a spotter, it's someone there to protect you from not going overboard. It's someone there to get you and protect you and look out after you, you know, when you do think, I'm going to lift that and then like actually 
probably not a good idea. Or when you are ready for it, they they're there enough. So the moment it fails, they're there to protect you and look after you, you know, talk about, um, why it's important and how we even invite those people who are the right spotters or the right people we should have in our circle to, um, give us enough discomfort and help to protect us from getting too off the deep end, but at the same time, push us enough to get those extra little reps that create the most strength in times of discomfort. From a business perspective, it should always be your manager. Now, I I despise that term manager. I'd rather use the term coach um, or leader, uh, even coach more than leader uh, in a business setting, but ideally it's your boss. That is your, is your spotter in the workplace, meaning that, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to allow you to can make sure you are continuing to push yourself. But man, when I see you at that edge, I got to get in there and spot you because it's not healthy for you to go to chaos. Uh, and, and chaos things can get dangerous. So the sad part is, According to our research, only 54% of people in a leadership role in business are good spotters, to use that analogy. Only 54%. So we, there's a lot of work to do there. But for others that aren't in a place like that, we find them in our life. You know, you, everybody needs their own spotter, so to speak. Um, I, I, I've had one, I have one, uh, I, I, I continually surround myself with people that, and I don't mean this in a self-effacing way. I mean, this quite literally that I think are smarter than me that think differently than me. Um, so I have spotters around me all the time. You know, as we begin to wrap up, I'd love, you know, as we start to invite people into our circle, you know, to be, um, those who help us from falling off the edge into chaos, you know, as you wonderfully put, um, what qualities, you know, what are some of the, some of the qualities we, we should seek after, you know, to make sure that we're not just finding the, the, the 40, what the 46%, uh, manager, the 46% who are just kind of there and not looking after us. How do we find someone that's in that 54% and looking after us? What are some of those qualities, you know, maybe that, that you look after, um, that we can all start saying, okay, Hey, this person's going to help me to, to really balance, to really grow, to make me uncomfortable, but at the same time, help me from not going over the edge. When we study the best, they, they, there are six themes that comprise really effective leaders and coaches, um, whether it's in the world of business or the world of sport. We work in both, <laughs> in both uh, fields. Um, but first and foremost, it's their ability to create, create trust-based connections. And I know a lot of people are thinking, oh, okay, well, that's, no, that is, that's foundational. And, and some of these were used to be viewed as soft skills. They're not because we can measure them now. So a coach, a leader's ability to create trust based connections is, is, is right there at the top psychologically safe environment. They, can they create that? That's another trait. Are they good and structured? So do they offer predictability to create that order? Uh, are they good communicators? Are they 
good at developing, identifying and developing my skill set. And then lastly, the sixth one, are they good at challenging me in a healthy way? In other words, not fear-based challenge, love-based challenge, challenge based on the fact they know me because without that challenge piece, I may not grow. So they got to be able to check all those boxes in a very effective way. Those are the best ones. Again, Bill Ekstrom, founder and CEO of the Excel Institute, also the author of The Coaching Effect and currently a 4 million view TED Talk alum. Bill, thank you so much for being our guest here on the ROI Podcast. Matt, thanks and have a wonderful day. This has been another episode of the ROI Podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week.